Amen. Amen. Um, let's have our seats. Um, can we say a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you for bringing us here once more today to learn at your feet, to hear your word. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Lord, even as we dive into your word, Lord, come and be with us in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, the words that are spoken here will not be mere men's words, but would be words of truth from your word in the name of Jesus. That, Lord God, that your people would learn something new today and they will to apply it in their lives in the name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father, for it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Um, welcome, everybody, once more. I hope everyone has had a good week so far. We are, we are going to be continuing with our teachings on the anointing today. And if you remember, this is our second lesson on anointings. Um, if you remember the last time we came together and we met to talk about this particular topic, we talked about the general nature of anointing. We talked about what it was, which is empowerment um, from God through the Holy Spirit to do a certain thing. Um, we gave the differences or we differentiated between the Holy Spirit and the anointing that while it's the Holy Spirit that empowered, he wasn't the anointing himself. Um, we also talked about the differences. We talked about how the anointing worked in the life of Jesus Christ. And we also mentioned how we differentiated between Jesus as the Son of God, which he always was and will always be, and Jesus, the anointed one, we talked about his baptism and how he started his ministry going about. We also mentioned the anointing in the life of every believer and how that works in our life. And finally, we concluded by talking about how to increase the anointing, which is essentially um, spending time with God, reading his word, that we can increase the anointing in our lives. Amen. So today, we're going to be um talking about the anointing but in respect of the ministries and the gifts of the holy spirit um i we know we've been taught at some point or the other we know about the ministries that we have the fivefold ministries we talk about them and we also know about the gifts of the holy spirit we will find in the first book of um, corinthians chapter 12. so for today i want us to open our bibles to the book of ephesians chapter 4 and I'll be reading from verse 9. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 9. I read, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill, he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. So, we're going to first talk about the very beginning. Because I want us I want to paint a picture. I want us also to see a pattern in the way God does things. God has always been 
a, a God um, who, who is structured, who gives roles. But he doesn't just give us roles or he doesn't just give roles to people and things. He also enables them to be able to fulfill those roles. Now, that's how he works. Humanity is not like that. Humans might give you some work and you have no idea how to go about it or you don't have the enablement to do it. So, for instance, a very recent example, and I think I've talked about it once or twice with a couple of people here, but I'm currently running my master's and we have an international law. I'm doing a course in international law and we haven't had a class. So the past couple of weeks, I've had classes for the other course, but I haven't had for international law. So it was a bit of a shock for me to open my phone one day and the class rep was talking about how, oh, okay, please send your names and matric numbers, which I did, thinking to myself, well, maybe they need it for something. And 30 minutes later, I get a message, say, with my name and matric number, and beside it, I've been given a topic for my seminar paper. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I haven't had a single class, but here I was with a seminar paper. So essentially I'd been given a task, but I hadn't been given the enablement to do it. That might not be the perfect example, but you can see what I am driving at. But God has never been like that. From the very beginning, he has already shown that if he gives roles to people or things, he will always give them the ability and the enablement to do it. So let's look at a classic example. Uh, let's open our Bibles to the first book of, first chapter of Genesis. Let's go to the very beginning. A very good place to start. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. I will begin reading from the 11th verse. Um... Pardon me, I might read a little fast just to ensure that I cover everything. The Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruits after his kind, whose fruit is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let, there be, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmaments of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser lights to rule the night. He, all, he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Amen. Now, I might look at that and be like, okay, what's going on? Um, there was describing God creating vegetation uh, and then also creating the sun and the moon as we know it. Well, you see something interesting there. If we look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says that God said, let there be light. And there was light. So essentially, there was light. However, on the fourth day, we see that he specifically gave, he created two great lights to control the times and the season. One for the day, one for the night. So you might ask yourself that, 
if he then created the light on the fourth day, what was the light from the very first day? What that suggests to us is that God did not need the sun and the moon to provide light for the earth. Yes? Can we say that? And therefore, if that's the case, then it tells us that God created the sun and the moon specifically to give light. Now, what that shows is that God appointed the sun and the moon and gave them the light to shine upon the earth. Amen? Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this. So, we see that from there. And as we move further into the Old Testament and into the Bible in general, we see this recurring theme in that God appoints people, and when he does, he ensures that they have the ability to do what they want, what he wants them to do. So, he did that with the sun and the moon. And he did the same thing with Adam. Why? Because he breathed into Adam. At that point in time, he anointed Adam to be the king over the earth. Adam was a king and a priest. He was a king in the sense that he ruled over the earth. He was the ruler of the earth. And he was a priest because there didn't need to be an intermediary between him and God. He could communicate with God directly. The Bible says that God came to fellowship with him. And if God came to fellowship with him, it's clear that there was a relationship there. Need an intermediary. God gave him the ability to do so. So man fell. And when man fell, um, the plan, the plan as God initially wanted it, wasn't going that way anymore. And something had to be done. However, what we've seen and what we've been taught over time is that God is not one to change his plans. His plans remain the same. All he does is that he tweaks here and there. So as time goes on, or as time had went on, we saw the development of three major offices. And those were the ministries that we find in the Old Testament. And those ministries, as I listed them there, were those of the king, were those of the priest, and were those of the prophet. And you see the supplementary scripture, some of which we looked at last, um, last two weeks, you know, where it talked about um, how Aaron and the other priests were to be anointed. Where it, um, in the book of First Kings, where it talked about how Elisha was to be anointed to be a prophet or the kingdom of Israel. And in First Samuel, where we saw Saul being anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. And these offices, God wants more. We see from the verses that there had been there was an anointing above upon these offices for the people to do what they had to do. So Saul was anointed to lead the people of Israel. That was his job. Interestingly, you see that um, the king has some parallels to the pastor of today in that the king was responsible for leading the people. If Israel, if Israel had a good king, of more often than not, Israel was righteous. They lived right. They did the right thing. And if Israel had an evil king, more often than not, they went their own way. They did as they pleased. We saw that very, very often. Uh, so it was the king that was responsible for the people of Israel. He was also the one who exhorted them or encouraged them when it was time for battle. He counseled them in certain times. They came with their problems to the king. Uh, the story of Solomon and the two women who came to him crying uh, with the dispute with the baby. Solomon initially counseled that the baby be cut in half. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is probably um, 
that's that's a that's a that's a daunting thought um thought to keep in but he applied wisdom but generally that's the point i'm trying to make the difference the main difference between a pastor and a king for the most part is the authority that they exercised because all the king's word was law essentially um the pastor is not quite the same the pastor can't do and do just for the sake of it the way a king could you know but you can see the parallels there we had the priest the priests were to act as the intermediary because man could no longer commune with god directly therefore god anointed certain people to act as that intermediary and they were the ones who were able to to god they were the ones that were able to offer sacrifices they were the, um, we had the high priest who could go into the holy of holies um to pray for the forgiveness for the cleansing of the sins or for the covering of the sins of the people of israel and that was the office and they were anointed to do so and we also had the prophet who pointed the way, who led the way, who was the one who warned if uh, the nation was going in a wrong direction, they were doing the right thing, and so on and so forth. And these offices were very important because they were pivotal to keeping Israel as God wanted them to. God has always been involved in the governance of his people. What he does is that he creates offices and he anoints the people who are in, who stand in them to do those things. So God had chosen a people, Israel. Israel was the race that he has chosen as his own. And over them, to watch after them, to supervise them, to ensure that they were keeping in line, we had these offices. We had the king, we had the priest, we had the prophet. So we can consider Israel as a type of the church in that they are the people of God. We've heard it today that we're a spiritual Israel. I believe we've all heard that at some point or the other. And that is true. So therefore, we also have offices that guide us, that also that are also around us to ensure that we are also doing or living as we should or doing the purpose or the work that God has assigned for us to do. So, we can move on to the New Testament offices, and for that we can, the text that we read, which was in Ephesians chapter 4, talked about, um, talked about the offices or the ministries that had been given to the people. So, these offices of today, what are they, what are they about? We have five of them that we, we've all encountered at some point of the, or the other. We have the apostles, we have the teacher, we have the prophets, we have the evangelists, and we have the pastors. When we spoke last on this particular topic, we talked about how Jesus filled all of these roles um, because the anointing upon his life was complete. Now, these roles, if we are following what we have seen from the very beginning of the Bible, from the very beginning of creation, which is that God picks offices and anoints people to run these offices or to stand in these offices, then it is very right for us to say that the same is true with the offices of the New Testament. Because these are rules that God has given to every individual, to the members of the church, who are to do it 
And God does not leave his people hanging. It has never been his way. So, the Bible says, when we look at the text in Ephesians 4, it says he gave some to be uh, apostles, teachers, and so on and so forth. The word there is gave. So, essentially, he appointed them. If you, if, you look at, if you look at the concordance and you look at the other derivations of the word gave that were put there, you will see words like enabled, words like granted. So essentially, it was something that was given by God. Now, we've talked about this before when we spoke last, which is that God is the one who anoints. This is never man. We, all, we saw it in all the verses that we read when we looked into some of them. And we saw that in each instance... It was God who initiated the process of anointing. He was the one who said, anoint so, 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 and so, anoint this person, anoint that person. Meaning that all of these people had the seal of approval of God to carry on the work in which, it, which they did. And it's the same thing here. When he says he gave unto them, it didn't say man gave, gave unto them. It wasn't Paul that appointed these people to be any of these things. It was God. Because it's God that gives the anointing to work in any office that anyone works in. So, we need to understand that there is an anointing for the offices in which we stand. Every single one of us. The offices that we stand, God has given us the ability to actually work in these offices. To do them. To do what we are supposed to do within them. So, how do these things work? Um, we've talked about the, or we have learned at some point about the role of the apostle, how they are usually the ones who go to break new ground. So they go to places, they break new ground. Paul was an apostle. The disciples were apostles. And the, the word apostle means sent ones. They are people who are sent to do something. We saw an example of this in the Gospels when Jesus sent out his apostles first to go and preach to the people in the land of Israel. And they did. And they came back. But he sent them again. They all went, they all went forth after his death. They, at the end of the day, they all scattered. They all went to different places. Doing the work of God. Breaking new ground. Carrying the Gospel to the Gentiles. And that has always been the way they've operated. They've broken new ground. They are the ones that always start. They are the pioneers. We have the office of the prophet. The prophet is one who points. Because they are those who see from God. So they point the right direction for the church to go. They also point um, or they also warn the church when it, they might be falling astray or where, where they might be having problems or where they might be having issues and they are very very important we have the role of the evangelists we have the evangelists who goes around and they win they win souls they are very successful in doing this um the word evangelist is not used a lot in the bible but we have an we have an example in the person of philip philip the evangelist in the book of acts who went to the land of samaria 
and evangelized there, and there were a lot of people who gave their lives to Christ and healed the sick also. We have the teacher who grounds people in the word of God. Teachers are incredibly important. And we can even see that from a secular perspective. Teachers are important in the in the rooting of any society. If a society has subpar teachers, you can be sure that subpar human beings will be created for society at the end of the day. You will see uh, there has been a lot of talk in various countries that talks about how, you know, the teachers are not being supported enough. And if teachers are not being supported enough, then at the end of the day, what do you expect from the students? The students will come out and they will do nonsense. They will not be able to, they will not be able to understand a lot of concepts. They will not be able to execute a lot of things. It's the same thing in the body of Christ in that teachers are important in grounding people in the word of God so that they understand and they can come to a unity of understanding of God's word. And we have the pastors who are under shepherds. They are under shepherds. They take care of the sheep. They are the ones who lead the sheep. They counsel. They exhort. They preach. They give. They do all of that. They do all sorts of things to ensure that the house of God is in working order. And while we know the rules and the and the job titles and the requirements of all of these places and the responsibilities on these offices, we also understand that there is an anointing above, um, upon those offices to do that work, to carry out that, that job. So how about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How, do, how does that work in this? Or how does that figure in all of this? And uh, we look... We can turn briefly to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, starting from verse 1, I would read, Now concerning spiritual gifts, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant, Ye know that when ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administration, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Amen. Amen. I think this is a very important message that we're being taught here, or we're being pointed here. The Apostle Paul talks about the gifts, talks about the variety of gifts, and a couple of lessons ago, we learned about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We left, learned about the power, the power gifts. We learned about the utterance gifts. We learned about all of those gifts. And because of the roles that they play, in the lives of those who use them, there's an anointing upon them to be used. And what you will find is, more often than not, some of these gifts work with certain, certain offices. And so, I want us to look at, the, at verse 6 specifically, which says that, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. That word operations 
is very interesting because what it means or what you find is that the gifts have been given by the same spirit. The ministries have been given by the same Lord. The ways these gifts work, the difference in the ways they work, are still worked by the same God. Now, what that points us to, or what that shows us, is that the gifts and the ministries, they all work in very different ways. Now, what do I mean? For instance, if we look at the book of Acts chapter 8, if we turn there, we would see, um, we'll be reading about uh, Philip the Evangelist. So it says, um, I'm reading from the book of Acts chapter 8, from verse 5. The Bible says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many, taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Amen. Uh, I would like us to turn to one other place. Or uh, to somewhere else. Uh, let's look at the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 16. Matthew 8, chapter 16, I read, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Amen. That's, uh, that's Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. That when they brought all, when, when they brought the, those that were possessed by devils, he cast them out, and he healed all that were sick. Now, you may wonder to yourself, that was the relation between these two. Now, you'd see something very interesting. It was stated unequivocally and quite clearly that those who were brought, or the ones that Philip healed in chapter 8 in the book of Acts, were people who were demon-possessed, those taken with palsies, and those who were lame. Meanwhile, with Jesus, it was all of them, meaning that, Jesus had the anointing upon him to heal all illnesses, all sicknesses. What we find a lot from experience and things that go on around the world, and even from the word of God, is that God gives certain peculiar ministries to some people. So you would find that there could be people, healers, who are adept at dealing with cancer. You will find that there are some that are adept at opening the eyes of the blind. There are others that are adept at opening up the ear, um, opening up the ears of those who have lost their hearing, who are deaf. And the most important part is being able to work in those ministries, knowing what one is being called to do and doing them. So there are peculiar ministries that exist. For instance, we know that there's a deliverance ministry. There's a special anointing to break people out of chains who are being chained or who are being held down by the devil or by the evil one or by evil spirits. So there are peculiar anointings like that 
that exist in the world today. And it's God that works them. It shows that the operations of our gifts and the operation of the ministries which we are all which we've all been given is very different. So what that means is that I will always be a different pastor to Pastor Billy. I can't be the same. And Pastor Billy will be different from any teacher that you may come across. It does not mean that they are not doing the same thing or they are not exp- they are not exposing the word of God. It's not that they are not grounding people. They are. It's just the operations in which they work in. It's quite different. So that's how the anointing usually works, um, especially with the ministries and with gifts. So I want to talk about one or a, a final point, so to speak. And that is, it's, I call it here the dark side of the anointing on offices. That might be a bit of an uh, over-dramatization, but it's, it is quite serious and it's actually quite important. Um, so when it comes to working, when it comes to working in the offices of God, or when it comes to working in the anointing of those offices, there are two major things that believers have to watch out for. And the first is trying to rough the work of God with the hands of flesh or with the mind of flesh. And the second is standing and operating in an office that isn't ours. These two are very, they're dangerous. They're dangerous because there are so many people who are doing that in the world today. So if we look at the book of Romans chapter 15, from verse 17 to 18, we'll see Paul saying something. And I think we mentioned this briefly in Sunday school on Sunday. But um, verse 17 to 18, Romans chapter 15 says, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Verse 18, for I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. What Paul is saying here is that he's not going to He's not going to take any credit to begin with, but that he's not going to go out talking about anything that God or Christ has not wrought through him. What we see in a lot of places today is people trying to work the work of God or the miracles of God with their own hands, trying to make something work when Christ has not done it through them. And that's quite dangerous. There are a lot of people, because there's an anointing on every single office. And what we as believers are meant to do is always ask. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Ask the Lord to help us so that we're not doing these things in the flesh. Because this is why they are offices and they are gifts. They are not superpowers. So, for instance, if Iceman or Cyclops from the X-Men woke up one morning and decided that he wanted his vision goggles or whatever to wipe out everything in his front. He can because he can simply turn his ability on and off. He can easily switch it as he pleases. Same thing with someone who has the power of ice or whatever. They can just wake up and say, oh, I feel like freezing this up 
and they can do that because the powers are just there. They can use that. They just feel out, you know, however they feel like there's nothing that they have to talk about. But it's quite different with believers in that while we have these gifts, is the glory is through the hands of God, it's through the glory of God, through the anointing of the Spirit that we're able to work with them. Amen. And the second dangerous thing is standing in the wrong office and trying to function in it. This in particular is this in particular is very scary, if I can use that word. It is scary because of how common it is. It's scary because of how people do it and don't think about it so much. So it's not it's not out of this world, or it's not ridiculous to find uh, an evangelist who is called to be an evangelist saying that they want to be pastors or pastoring a church. Now, there are, some have done it to limited success, which is not to say that they haven't, but there's an inherent danger in standing in the wrong office or doing the wrong thing. And I'll give um, there are two classic examples, uh, one that I really like to focus on, and that's in the book of First Samuel, chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15, and I'll read from verse 1. And the Bible said, or the Bible says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord has Okay. Sorry, I think I may have made an error. It's okay. Um, my apologies. It's actually First Samuel chapter 13. And I'll be reading from verse 1. And the Bible says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpets throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison, Philistines, and that Israel also also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul in Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 char chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel, 
had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a bond offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the bond offerings. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the bond offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul came out to meet him, and might, uh, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a bond offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Amen. So that was a bit, that was a bit of a stretch. Uh, that was a bit of a long story. But it told the story of Saul, his early years as the king of Israel. There was a time when he was to fight against the Philistines. And they had come and they had, be, they had cornered him essentially. The people of Israel were scared. So they had hidden themselves wherever they could find. Every hiding place possible. So to give you a picture, they said they hid in thickets, which essentially is like bush. It's bush grasses and everything. Whether I hid them very well, we do not know. So you can imagine playing hide and seek with somebody and the person is hiding behind one of mommy's banana leaves there and hiding themselves and saying, oh, I hope the bad guys don't get me or something interesting like that. And... They did something similar. They were scared. They were hiding. And you see, this is, this is where this problem comes in. And I, I really want us to follow here. You can put yourself in Saul's shoes. He's there looking as the king who's supposed to raise the morale of his people. They're all scared all around him. At this point in time, if the Philistines attacked them, they were dead. They were going to die. They didn't have anyone that was strong enough. If they were shaking in their boots like this. So what was a man to do? And he said he was waiting for Samuel that, oh, we agreed seven days. And he waited the seven days. And Samuel still had not come. And it can be very annoying. I mean, when you expect someone at a certain time and the person still hasn't come, there is a pressure. So you can imagine to yourself, put yourself in, let's put it in a modern scenario. Imagine if you had a debt to pay. You had a debt to pay to a loan shark for whatever reason. Hopefully, none of you borrowed from loan sharks. It's a terrible thing. Don't try it, please. But if you borrowed from a loan shark and the person says, okay, I'm coming to collect my money at so-so and so time on so-so and so day. And the day comes and someone has told you that, okay, I'm going to credit your accounts with X and Y. Just wait for me. I'll come and I'll bring the money. I'll bring money in a bag so that I'll give it to you and you'll be able to pay your loan shark. And you're there saying, okay, no problem. And waiting in your house, the day of the, the day, day comes, you know, and say the transaction was supposed to go down at 3 p.m. And it's like 2.50. You're calling your guy that, how far, how far, how far, how far? They're not picking phone. Or he's telling you, this number is switched off. Kicking in your boots. And then the loan shark has given you a call saying that, guy, I'm on my way. I'm coming with Ali and Sonny. And Ali and Sonia are huge dudes that you've seen beat up a couple of people before. So you're scared and you're shaking your boots, wondering that, hey, if this one's come to my house, 
I'm in danger. And they're on their way. And they're coming. And you're wondering to yourself, what am I going to do? 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 And then you think to yourself, okay, you know what? This person that is coming to credit my account, thank God I have his ATM pin for whatever reason. Again, don't mind the um, don't mind the viability of my story. Just listen to it. So for whatever reason, because I mean, why would he have the pin? But say he had the pin. Had the pin to the person's ATM and could access money from there. And this person I told him, wait for me, I'll bring the money. And then he says, you know what? I can't wait anymore. This guy is going to come. It's three o'clock. This this guy has not arrived. And then he goes, uses the pin that he's not supposed to use, and then gets the money out and says, okay, I'm just going to pay the loan shark and everything. That was the situation we saw. And from a certain perspective, looking back or looking at it from the outside, you can look at it and be like, eh, that makes sense. She doesn't want to get his kneecap smashed. She doesn't want to get himself broken. And essentially, that was all Saul was doing. Saul looked at it. The people of Israel were afraid of him. If the Philistines came down, they are going to battle him. So he thought in the way a normal military tactician would think, which is that, you know what? We just have to get a move on. Let's do what we can to raise the morale of the troops. So he called for the um, offering and peace offering and sacrifices, and he made them himself. I remember reading the story when I was younger. And when I got to the part where Samuel was telling him that, oh, you have done, acted foolishly. Uh, the Lord has torn, essentially torn this kingdom away from you. And it's no longer going to be established forever. I remember thinking to myself that, but why? He acted rationally, didn't he? He did what a rational human being would do. You are in trouble. You find a way in which you can do something about it. And you do something about it. But here's the problem of what Saul did. It was not Saul's office. Saul had no anointing to offer bone sacrifices in that situation. He had no he had no power appointment or anything to do anything of that sort. But he did it anyway. He was anointed, sure. If we check the book of Samuel, first Samuel 10, verse 1, it talks about that. Samuel anointed Saul. Yes, he was anointed, but he was anointed to be king of Israel. He was not anointed to be the prophet of Israel. And he was there trying to do the work of the prophet. And for that reason, he got into a lot of trouble. And another example that we can think of is also um, is from the book of Second Samuel, where David was moving the Ark of Covenant. Again, this was another story that confused me as a kid, because I was like, why? Because they put the Ark of Covenant on a new cart. The Bible says a new cart. So it wasn't like they got some old, moldy, smelly thing like that, and they say, okay, Ark of Covenant, just <laughs> sit there and move along with the oxen. And it wasn't as if they got oxen that were lame or something. No, they had the best. It was great. And they put it on it and they're moving along their bumpy roads. And the Bible says that David and the children of Israel were in front of it dancing, celebrating. These guys were having a carnival. They were having a party. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back to Israel because for some context, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, so to speak. And it had been taken to the land of the Philistines. Um, that in itself is a very fascinating story because even as a kid, I always remember how the Philistine god Dagon kept falling 
bowing essentially in front of the Ark of Covenant. It was a lot of fun. And then on the third day, when he came back, they had broken an arm and a leg. It was fun times. But essentially, they are coming back with this thing. It was a victory. It was a time of joy, of happiness. And they were all dancing and they were all excited and they were like, yay, 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 yay. The Ark of Covenant is coming back to Israel. And unfortunately, as is very common on Old Testament roads, there was a bit of a bump and the oxen stumbled. And when he stumbled, it looked like the Ark of Corinth might fall. And a good Samaritan looked at it and said, Ah, would the Ark of Corinth, our God's Ark of Corinth, now land? Because for all we know, maybe it had rained the day before and it was Potopoto that was there or something. And like, if he had fallen, so just fallen into this, you know, puddle of mud and it's like been terrible and so it looked horrific and something. And he reached out his hand and he tried to steady it. And the Bible says that the anger of God was kindled against Uzzah. It was the name of the person and he was struck dead. And he died on the spot. And as a kid, I could never get wrap my head around it. I was like, why? He was just trying to help. Like, wouldn't that? But the problem there again was he was trying to do something that he was not assigned to do. The Bible had already given provision in the book of Exodus as to how the Ark of Covenant was to be carried at all times. It was to be carried on the shoulders of priests. And they were to carry it with them. And that's how they had been doing it since then. If you look at um, Joshua, when the, um, when the river Jordan was parted and everything, it talks about how the, how the priests carried the Ark of Covenant on their shoulders because that was the prescribed method. That was how they were supposed to do it. However, they had not gone by that. Instead, they had put it on the cart and it was moving. And as I said, it was supposed to be carried by priests, not by mere men. So it wasn't as if anyone could just put their hand there. And this was a mere man who was also trying to put his hand. Once more, he was trying to act in an office that was not his. And for that, he paid the ultimate penalty. He died. There are many people who are working in offices they shouldn't be working. This is not, uh, I'm not saying this to scare anybody. The idea is not that, you know, the moment... If you're an evangelist and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to pastor, and then the moment you step on the pulpit, thunder, and die. That's not the case. It's essentially to encourage believers, encourage Christians that for whatever role it is that we are playing in the kingdom of God, we should always seek the face of God and ask him, what would you have me do? What would you, which, what would you have me do, O Lord? Because this, these two stories that we just read about were two people with good intentions. They had the best of intentions. Our intentions in this kind of situations don't particularly matter. It's about what has God said we should do and what ability has He given us to do that. So as believers, what does this all mean for us? We have a role. We have a place that we are to stand. And God has given us an ability to do it. There's an anointing upon our lives. As believers... But there's also an anointing upon the offices that we occupy. So wherever it is that we are going or whatever it is that we are doing, we have the ability to do it, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing of God upon our lives to do it. And our job or our requirement, essentially, is to seek God's face and to ask him, what would you have me do? Because at the end of the day, God's plans are the best. If we don't work in his ways, we can never work to full effectiveness. It's, it's impossible. So, 
when I was in when I was in primary school, we were given a interesting science project. I think we've all done it at one point in our lives. I think I want to assume where you are told to get batteries, two batteries or something, and you're given a copper wire that is naked on both ends, and they are given a small light bulb, and the idea is you're supposed to, you know, put the put the batteries on top of one end of the wire and use the other end of the wire to power the bulb. You know, that's a great way to do it. I remember when I was given that assignment, what I was told was I was supposed to get a plank and six nails. And then I was supposed to also get, uh, I think it was some tape or some glue. So essentially what that was supposed to do was the nails were to be on either side of the plank. The battery was supposed to be in the middle and the glue was supposed to hold the wire to the bottom of the battery and to the top so that I could easily power the light bulb that was there. Why I'm saying this is that I didn't get the plank and I didn't get the nails. I simply had the batteries, the copper wire, and the light bulb. So what that meant was that anytime I wanted to power the light bulb, I had to manually, you know, put the hand and do this. And, you know, I couldn't leave it. It was fascinating to see it come on. There was, there was a particular night that they took the light and that was what I used to like, like oh okay we can see okay cool let's go get the candles and that was fun but i couldn't leave it never and the next day when i got to school i saw someone who had done everything that they should and the person just had it powered on i was just there and i was like oh right that's how it goes that's the life of life of a christian who doesn't follow or who doesn't stand where god wants him to can never be fully effective you might do something there are many people who are standing in the wrong offices who are doing like interesting things. But the reality is this. It's never good enough because if you're doing what God wants you to do, you'll be doing so much more. And I pray that the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. May we all rise up.